Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Deepak Casts, a podcast series we present from the DeBartolo Performing Arts Center at the University of Notre Dame. My name is Ted Barron. I'm the executive director here at the center. This series, Documentary Factor Fiction, is based around a class that I'm teaching this semester in which we're looking at documentary and its limits, films that perhaps challenge conventional ideas of what documentary is and give us some new ways to think about what documentary could be. This is episode 10, our final episode in the podcast series. We'll be discussing the film Flea, which was directed by Jonas Poher Rasmussen. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Film that came out in 2021 uh, to great critical acclaim. And a film that uh, challenges documentary from a new po- uh, perspective in that it uses uh, techniques of animation in the film to raise questions about how we might think of documentary. Uh, the film was produced by actors Riz Ahmed and Nikolai Coster Waldo. Riz Ahmed is uh, better known uh, for his acting roles uh, in films like Rogue One and The Sound of Metal. Um, Nikolai Coster Waldo, uh, to many folks, is uh, the the one and only Jamie Lannister of um, uh, Game of Thrones fame. Um, both Ahmed and Coster Waldo were interested in making sure that this story. Um, was heard because it, it, it accounts for such a remarkable experience uh, in terms of what the film subject uh, shares within it. Um, we've talked over the course of this series about the work of filmmaker and author uh, Jill Godmalow. Um, she recently published a book, Kill the Documentary, and in that book, she poses a set of strategies to kind of rethink documentary film by moving toward what she calls post-realist filmmaking. And among her most direct um, in, in, in her strat- in her list of strategies, she lists 40 strategies uh, for post-realist filmmaking. Among the most direct is to make a film even when you can't. And today's film is a good example of that, because how do you make a documentary about a subject who actually needs to keep their identity hidden? I suppose you could use the techniques that maybe we see on, on Dateline NBC where you, you interview a subject and you keep them shrouded in silhouette and um, you know, mask their voice. Um, but instead, uh, what uh, uh, director Rasmussen uh, chooses to do is um, to use animation. Um, so the subject of the film, Aman Nawa- uh, Amin Nawabi, uh, which is actually an alias because uh, he has to keep his um, his real name hidden, uh, was a refugee from Afghanistan. And that feeds into part, part of why he has to um, not reveal who he, who he really is. Although the film is a fascinating process of him actually doing just that. Um, so to help conceal Nawabi's identity, what the film does is it combines audio recordings, which were uh, taped during a series of interviews that Rasmussen conducted uh, with Nawabi um, in the present day. And these are, these are coupled with animated renderings of Nawabi in the present day um, in the apartment in uh, Denmark that he shares with his boyfriend, Casper. 
Um, but as Nawabi tells his personal stories, the film uses animation to re- essentially reenact his personal accounts. So um, we see a younger version of Nawabi uh, voiced by um, different actors. And it depends which version you get to see of this film. Um, the film is currently streaming on Hulu. And uh, you have the option of both the English language version, uh, which uses you know uh, uh, English speaking actors, and um, a version in which uh, the uh, the these accounts are delivered in uh, primarily in Danish. Um, I recommend the international version of the film. Um, it's just it uh, the the English translation or the English I would even call it a kind of dubbing process kind of takes you out of the experience um, in a way that the uh, that the other the the international recording doesn't, um, but but the but when Nawabi shares these accounts of his personal life, we have actors performing his testimonies or his you know his his recollections, and as well as those of uh, his various family members. So part of Nawabi's identity is he's part of a very large uh, family in Afghanistan that um, faces you know challenges as he's growing up um, in. Um, uh, the late 1980s, early 1990s, and eventually the family has to escape the country in order uh, to find safety. Um, he leaves uh, with his mother and brother, um, and um, in the process, we learn about you know all of the challenges that they faced, uh, you know, tied to their refugee status. So as we learn, um, his uh, Nawabi's asylum. Uh, over the course of the film, it's, it's revealed that uh, this asylum actually hinges on his anonymity, which makes it, uh, which creates barriers in his relationships between family members. Since you know, once he's able to uh, receive asylum, um, they're essentially cut off from communicating with each other. So it, it follows this process of how you know he's struggling now as an adult um, in uh, in a kind of isolation uh, from his loved ones. Um, but the other uh, barrier that the film introduces in Nawabi's life is that, um, you know, as as noted, he shares an apartment with Casper. He's open in his identity as a gay man, um, and he notes that as he's recounting his life story, that he's sharing it for the first time. And we get accounts, you know, from his youth where he first starts to become aware of his sexual identity. Um, and we see how that how that kind of evolves through his teenage years and then into into adulthood and often in a very you know kind of restrained uh, uh, not so much repressed but because he seems to be kind of fully aware of who he is um, but uh, but certainly not something that he can be open about um, with uh, the people who are closest to him uh, which creates you know which creates some some great challenges never mind the fact that he lives in in an Islamic fundamentalist society which is which does not um, uh, look too kindly upon homosexuality um, so the details of his journey are, are as a refugee are incredibly harrowing we follow um, Nawabi as he uh, you know again we start out in Afghanistan in the in the earliest scenes of the film we see a somewhat idyllic life but that's quickly disrupted when we see that um, his brother is forced into um, military service 
and he has to hide and and try to escape from uh, being forced into to serving in the um, in the Afghan uh, the Afghanistan army. So eventually, the uh, 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 coupled with that is just um, other issues around the family and their involvement with different um, political groups, where the only safe place for them is outside of Afghanistan. So he and his mother and brother eventually take a plane. Uh, get on a plane and end up in Moscow, uh, where they spend um, the next several years. Um, their life in Moscow, while it's a place that they're able to seek asylum, is actually quite difficult. Um, it's a, it's uh, he, as he notes, it's the Moscow of the early days uh, of uh, post-Soviet Union, um, in which um, you know uh, supermarkets are often. Uh, uh, don't have a lot of food available. Resources are quite scarce for for the Russian people in general. Um, it's not a smooth transition from communism to capitalism in um, in the post-Soviet society. And for a refugee family, those things are exacerbated even further because there's also not a lot of um, uh, order within society. In particular, he identifies corruption within uh, police forces who often target um, immigrants as uh, you know f- to uh, sort of with with threats of with threats of deportation. So we we get that phase of his life, which is incredibly difficult, and then the next phase, which is his eventual um, escape, uh, journey from from uh, Russia to um, to. Uh, to, to other parts of Europe, and I say other parts of Europe because there's plans for him to go to different locations, but ultimately um, he finds himself um, in, uh, in Denmark um, by himself, isolated from his family. And when he, as, as noted, when he seeks that asylum, the person who helps him uh, get there tells him, you cannot you know, have any, com- any communication with your family because they will now, if you do that, that may trigger, you know, some kind of uh, attention where they would, you know, people would be aware of their, their other, their, their refugee status and could risk uh, deportation either back to Moscow, which was not ideal, or worse, back to Afghanistan. So um, it's a film that, you know, as it follows a fairly linear structure, it's a, it's a pretty easy film to follow in terms of its, uh, in terms of the way things play out. Definitely recalls earlier examples of uh, immigrant stories or refugee stories. I think of the 1983 film El Norte, which is very much about a kind of a, a rather harrowing journey of uh, a brother and sister who were escaping originally from Guatemala to Mexico and then uh, to the U.S. Um, but the the more recent uh, documentary For Sama, which documented the experiences of a Syrian family, um, definitely uh, bears a lot of parallels to, to what we see in this film. Um, the other point of comparison is the fact that this is a documentary that's animated. Um, and this is a technique that's not necessarily representative of a huge trend, but we're starting to see more filmmakers um, kind of play with these techniques. There was the film Life Animated uh, a few years ago, which kind of combines live action and animated footage. But then you have films like um, Tower, uh, Chicago 10, and Waltz with Bashir, which are fully animated. Jill Godmalow um, notes in her Kill the Documentary text uh, that Waltz with Bashir, quote, pushes hard and successfully against the boundaries of documentary filmmaking. It distances us from realistic horror so we can see that which without 
animation could not be told or shown. And that's particularly effective in a film such as this, which so, so much of what's in this film is, first of all, a story that's being revealed for the first time, as uh, Nawabi notes in his interviews uh, with Rasmussen, that you know he's never been able to tell this story, and now he feels like he's in a place where he can share this. But he also does it under very protective kind of circumstances where um, – the um, you know the his you know his again his identity has to remain secret and the fact that he's even rendered within the film using animated techniques um, helps to conceal his identity. I spent a bit of time after watching the film trying to find him online to see if you know has he finally revealed himself and uh, I was unsuccessful. Um, if you if you uh, if you're able to track him down, you know, uh, send a note to us here at the Bartolo Performing Arts Center, or better yet, keep it to yourself because it's probably for the best of Nawabi that his identity remains secret. Um, but you know, part of the effort that we've been undergoing in this uh, in this series of of, doc- of of documentary films, the the films that we've been considering over the over the last uh, ten weeks, has been to kind of separate documentary from the the assumption um, that it's inherently realistic. Um, and now we're dealing with a fo- an animated form, which is you know arguably kind of innate. Uh, 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 innately artificial. If we think about the fact that you know in, in the process of creating animation is you know an artist rendering images that are you know from the the imagination of the artist. They might be based on uh, a true life experience in the same way, but we could also maybe compare that to the ways in which. Uh, documentary films have kind of crossed over between fiction and nonfiction techniques. Uh, think about docudramas that reference reality but aren't necessarily uh, a reflection of that reality. Um, animation opens up some really interesting questions and suggests some um, some exciting new possibilities. In particular, it, with a film like this, where it tells a story that could only it seems like it's the only way it could be told. Um, the film itself um, was incredibly well received uh, it w- with its release last year. Um, it was nominated for three Academy Awards: uh, Best Animated Film, Best International Film, and Best Documentary Feature Film. Um, it did not win any of those awards, but uh, it, but it but it was a kind of hi- it was a historic accomplishment for a film to to cross over all of those boundaries. And I think that's been kind of a core element of. Uh, the the films that we've considered in this series so far was to look at films that don't necessarily try to reinforce uh, existing ideas about what documentary is, but but try to cross boundaries and to open up new possibilities so that we might rethink the form to create you know something something dynamic and something new. So we hope you've enjoyed listening to this series. We hope uh, we hope you've made some discoveries about. Uh, the films that we've been talking about uh, over the last 10 weeks. And, um, and we hope you'll continue uh, listening to Deepak Casts.